wonderful. That was a terrific act. Yeah, I know. In fact, it was just the kind of act you would have booked. Maybe they made a mistake. <laughs> we made a terrible mistake. Uh, that act was so bad, the frog could have booked it. <laughs> what? Hi-ho, and welcome once again to A Feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, what's up? Oh, not much. Playing that game, living that life. This new year, this, like, all of my work weeks have been weirdly truncated, so time dilation is in effect and feeling very weird. I don't, I guess I just forget how many short weeks there are in January. Well, you got MLK Day. Hmm. New Year's what Day. What else? New Year's Day. Yeah. And yeah, then right. we have it's been dealing Sunday with this uh, year, so. a bit of an atmospheric river. So they're worried about people coming into the office. That's right. How's the rain? It's, it's letting up, which I'm honestly going to be kind of sad to see it go. One of my coworkers got a really good shot of lightning striking the Transamerica building. That's cool. Yeah, still, it's not really built for that kind of rain. Not remotely. Santa Cruz has been getting hit hard. Yeah, LA's not too happy either. They're definitely not built for that kind of rain. They're in the desert. This is not the Weather Channel. This is a feed of lunatic daring. Um, we're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media, at Lunatic Daring on Facebook and Instagram lunaticdaring.com where you can find all of our episodes our watch list and our bibliography we are currently going through the fifth season of the muppet show two episodes at a time and we are almost done almost done with the muppet show that's a weird thing to hear yeah (laughs) seems like all i've done for the last two years is watch the muppet show i do it's the thing i watch most consistently (laughs) i watch this and i watch star wars shows on disney plus those are the two things. I guess so. I guess I just watched Disney Plus. I need to start watching The Last of Us though on HBO. I've heard good things. I've heard it's great, and I love the game. So, but uh, yeah, we're we're going through the Muppet Show two episodes at a time. Oh yeah, and also before we start, give us a review on uh, your podcast app of choice on Apple or Google or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you can listen to us. I don't know. You're listening to it. However, wherever you're listening to us, give us a review. Give us five stars, four stars if you're feeling a little, you know, scroogish. And then, uh, you know, leave a little review. It helps out a lot. But uh, two, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be diplomatic and use the word interesting episodes tonight. Interesting is a good word. Maybe even complicated or messy. But, you know, we've, we've definitely seen significantly worse episodes. You ever watch any Barney Miller? That's not the guy that was the incredible Mr. Limpet, right? <laughs> well, no, that's Don Knotts, um, who played Barney Fife. Okay. Oh, no, I have not Andy seen Griffith Barney show. Miller. <laughs> the only thing I knew Hal Linden from was Barney Miller. It was one of those shows when I was a kid that, like, adults watched. Harold Lipschitz was born March 20th, 1931 in the Bronx, U.S. of A. When he was young, he wanted to be a big band leader. 
uh, after attending the New York High School of Music and Art, uh, first thing he did was change his name. He needed one that would swing, and Harold did not think that Lipschitz could swing. On a trip from Philly to New York, he passed through Linden, New Jersey, and chose Hal Linden as his new handle. He played sax, clarinet, and sang. Then he joined the Army in 1952 and was stationed in Virginia and played with the United States Army Band. While in the service, he saw a touring production of Guys and Dolls and decided then that he wanted to be an actor. After being discharged in 54, he went back to New York. His Broadway debut was in The Bells Are Ringing in 1958, and he did Cole Porter's Anything Goes in 1962. But then the onstage work dried up for Hal. He took jobs dubbing foreign films, did voiceover work, even sang jingles for commercials. That was most of his 60s. But he came back strong in the 1971 musical The Rothschilds, which earned him the which earned him the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. In 74, Barney Miller premiered. Hal played the title role. It put upon captain of a Greenwich Village police station. The police sitcom earned Hal seven Emmy nominations, tying him with fun and fun Wikipedia fact here, tying him with Matt LeBlanc and John Goodman for the most outstanding lead actor in a comedy series Emmy nominations without winning. Not exactly a record that you want. <laughs> uh, Barney Miller ended after eight years, and Hal never left the stage. Uh, he kept doing plays when he could, did a TV movie or two, played music in his nightclub act and then came back to TV with a series of underperforming sitcoms, none of which went beyond 18 episodes. He played the villain in the TV film The Colony, opposite Jack John Ritter, in 1996, which was kind of a different role for him, playing a bad guy. He did guest appearances on Deep Breath Here, Touched by an Angel, The King of Queens, Gilmore Girls, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Supernatural, Two Broke Girls, etc., etc. He released his first album, It's Never Too Late, full of pop and jazz standards, in 2011. He was married once, he's now a widower, has four children, and he's currently 91 years old. Hal Linden, still with us. Oh. Uh-huh. So wait, he he was the main role on a cop show, and we didn't have a patrol bear this episode. Uh, the Muppet Show, episode 517, with special guest star Hal Linden. Produced July of 1980, debuted in the winter of 1981. Get our cold open, and Hal introduces himself to Pops. And uh, how how pops pops is weird. Sometimes he knows who they are. Sometimes he doesn't know who they are. Hi, good evening. Hey, who are you? I'm Hal Linden. I'm tonight's guest. Hal Linden. Hey, aren't you a cop? <laughs> no, no, I I play a cop on TV. Barney Miller. So I've got a theory about this actually, and it's mostly cemented by this episode. Was okay. Pops the former Muppet newsman? And if so, is his body memory <laughs> tied to any sort of blunt force trauma to the head? Oh, okay. You're saying, from this, you're thinking, oh, I can see that. This is entirely a Muppet News sketch. Like the, the setup It is a Muppet part. News joke, for sure. Pops, uh, when he introduces himself, I'm Hal Linden, and he goes, you a cop? Hey, aren't you a cop? Aren't you a cop? And I was like, that's right, Pops. You know what's up. Barney Miller. Soon as you said the name, hit me like a ton of bricks. What name? Barney Miller. He gets hit by, with a ton of bricks. You're right. It's just a Muppet News sketch. <laughs> it's 100% a Muppet News sketch. Um, but I just liked Pops. Oh, yeah. Aren't you a cop? We don't talk to the cops. <clears throat> we have the Muppet Show theme. Uh, Gonzo goes to blow his trumpet, but he's holding a, a living banana he's trying to blow into. One of those bananas with a face. Whole lots of jokes that can make, be made here. I'm going to avoid most of them because you know where half of them would go. 
But I will say that this is one of the few times that it would have been amazing for him to try to play Yes, We Have No Bananas. It's kind of a horrifying scene. Well, especially for the banana. Kermit doesn't really come out to introduce the show. We cut to, after the opening credits, uh, we cut to Kermit and Fozzie sitting in Statler and Waldorf's box. And Kermit explains that Statler and Waldorf, the two old gentlemen that usually sit here, they are, and then Fozzie chimes up and says they're dead. <laughs> this is what it's like up here, huh? Boy. Hi! Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Statler and Waldorf, the two old gentlemen who usually sit up here, have... Died. Fozzie, they have not. Ha, 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 ha. No, no, Statler and Waldorf have been telling me for years that they could put on a better show than I could. Yeah. So tonight they're getting their chance. That's right. They are going to be down there hosting the show, oh. and we are going to be up here watching them. Hope springs to channel, Fozzie. <laughs> Kermit just goes, they, uh, and Fozzie goes, died. <laughs> and no, they haven't died. They have, much like uh, when they got to do a, they did do this one other time with the um, 10 terrific girls in only mm -hmm. nine costumes. The Statler and Wardorf have told Kermit so many times that they could do the show better than him that Kermit's deciding to let them put their money where their mouth is, and he has given Statler and Waldorf the entire show. They are going to run the backstage of the show while Kermit and Fozzie sit up in the balcony and enjoy the show slash heckle. I will say this, it's a missed opportunity. There's at no point does Statler and Waldorf come out to do comedy and get booed by Fozzie. That was another one, yeah. Missed opportunity. So Kermit then throws it to Statler and Waldorf who came out on stage and they said that one of the problems with the show is it goes by too slow. It's too slow. We got to pick up the pace. And before they, before they introduce the first number, Hal comes out and he's like, what the hell is going on here? I signed on to be this, on the show with Kermit. And who are you guys basically? And uh, there's a cute moment where he said, uh, he points up, they point up to the balcony. Kermit says, hi, Hal. And he goes, oh, hi, Kermit. Hi, Hal. You're in good hands down there. I'm just going to sit up here and watch. Hey, Kermit, well, how come he didn't say hello to me? Hey, Hal, hi, it's me. Oh, hi, Ralph. But that doesn't go well for Fozzie. Fozzie's not used to uh, seeing things from that altitude. Somehow they managed to get Hal to introduce the first number uh, of the show. They give him a piece of paper. They, th their whole thing is they want to class it up a little bit. At least they think they're classing it up a little bit. You'll find out that they that they discover that um, the show is a lot harder to run than they imagined. But they're going to class it up a little bit. And their first number is Jerry and the Actrix. The return of Jerry and the Actrix, Actrix singing Who Put the Bomp in the Bomp Bomp Bomp. hit from 1961 it's kind of a how to put it it's a song kind of making fun of rock songs yeah. with its chorus fresh young um, with a 20 year old song um so uh yeah we have jerry and the atrix what'd you think i thought it was nice it was a, it struck me as a kind of a sweet song because it's just every other song that you've ever heard that's like hey dj thank you or hey dj play this particular song kermit digs it my kids, my kids started screaming Nightmare Fuel. <laughs> Wait, your kids say Nightmare Fuel? Yes, they do now. Yes. Where did they learn that? They've listened to the show. <laughs> I will try to keep my language a little bit cleaner. I can only make no, so many promises. 
Oh, it's fine. Taylor Swift has ruined that anyway, because she's swearing on her records now. I have no frame of reference. She didn't used to. That'd bother me, but... It, the only person that's going to bother is going to be my, my kids' teachers, you know? But they listen to the show sometimes. But uh, yeah, they were screaming Nightmare Fuel at this one, because they thought, like, especially the drummer looked kind of crazy. My daughter was like, they're just a bunch of old ladies playing rock and roll. Yeah, that is what they are. Are they aware of the concept of arthritis? Is this like an acute fear or is this just like the general idea of the elderly being able to play music? I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was. They just, you know, I said, this is a nightmare fuel. And she goes, it's my nightmares. I mean, do they tell campfire tales about Keith Richards? Like what's so backstage Statler and Waldorf, Statler and Waldorf are appalled. That is not at all what they expected to get out of Jerry and the Atrix. I don't know why they expect that. They've been on the show before. So we only see Statler and Waldorf every so often. And I don't know if that's only because they ever have so much to say or because they just don't turn the camera to them when they fall asleep in the seats. They might have missed some of them. They may have. They may have slept through some. I swear they've commented on them before. Probably. I mean, they've been on the show enough for them to have done it once or twice. But we can't trust their memory, you know? Yeah. So backstage, um, they're upset about it. And um, Jerry and the Atrix, Jerry gives them a little guff about not being with it, you know, uh, and that they're kind of square. So Gonzo it wants to go on next. Or he, he, he's he's uh, he's going to go out and perform Mozart with a pineapple. Now, the reason he's doing it with a pineapple, as he says, is because his watermelon is being cleaned. What does Gonzo eat? I don't know. Seeds? Maybe. Like he's... I'm assuming he's vegetarian, ostensibly vegan, except if if food, like, does he eat furniture? Or, I mean, he has, right? He doesn't look that different from Alf as I think about it. Maybe he subsists on cats. I'm not entirely sure, though. <laughs> we don't see a lot of cats. We only see that one cat hanging around. <laughs> Gonzo as Alf. I never thought about that. They have similar well, watch- noses. Not, not <laughs> the same, but like both prominent and distinct. But Stanley and Wardorf say, no, we're not going to do your stupid number. We have the Berlin National Opera Company coming on. So this is the point at which I realized Statler and Waldorf have no concept of a budget. That just sounds super expensive. It does. Sounds quite elaborate. But luckily, they don't show up. And instead, we get the Salzburg sauerkraut singers show up in their place. And um, we watch the Salzburg sauerkraut singers, which is not that easy to say, perform drinking song with plates full of sauerkraut. Um, that they get all over the place. It's funny. Uh, in the uh, Muppets and Men documentary, they show them filming this, and it looks like a blast hmm. because they're just throwing sauerkraut everywhere while they're trying to do these puppets. But this didn't last long. It was. It's just a funny little visual bit, real short. So backstage, um, Link is getting all freaked out because Statler and Waldorf had, have canceled all the regular acts for the show. Link is very upset that he's been canceled. <laughs> Oh, we have been canceled. Do you realize that we've been canceled? Oh, no, we have been canceled. <laughs> and Link goes on a rant about how we've been canceled. We're all canceled. To be and fair. It, it, can only, it, can, it only plays funnier in a modern context. And of all of the Muppets, he's pretty high up there. Like, oh, he's the first one who gets canceled. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's Bunsen Honeydew. But Link is still like definitely top five. Gonzo will somehow <laughs> magically evade it forever by just crossing the line six or seven times so people aren't sure what they're trying to cancel him for. I think Strange Pork may be sneaky, the worst one of the, of the bunch. 
But, <laughs> Maybe. But uh, yeah, he's very upset they're getting can they're getting canceled, and he goes, "Oh, we're getting canceled." I was like, "What are you, Louis C.K.?" But oh. Piggy reassures him and says, "You know, actually, he doesn't reassure him. She smacks him." <laughs> That's how she reassures. And then she tells him, "Get a hold of himself. Act like an adult. It's only for one night." And she leaves. And she's being very mature about getting canceled. But then Hal comes, and he's in this like kind of pinstripe suit getting ready for his next number and Hal comes out link explains to him that they've it's everything's been canceled and Hal thinks that applies to him and he's like everything is canceled and Hal's upset about it link goes don't worry it's just for one night <laughs> maybe my memory is failing me a little bit but like i feel like Hal is the guest star that i felt the most sorry for just because he's doing nothing wrong he's literally where he's supposed to be looking for direction and Kermit's like, yeah, but I'm taking the night off. So, yeah, Kermit really screws Hal this week. I mean, to be fair, would the show be much better if Kermit was running it? I feel like the guest star would be more reassured. With that being yeah, said, yeah, but the backstage would be just as insane. True. I think that's what Statler and Mulder for learning. It's not. It's not the frog. It's just the show, and nothing can can stop that. Nothing can stop the Muppet Show from being the Muppet Show, hmm. even without the frog. So Hal's like, F it then. I guess I'm going to my dressing room. And Statler and Waterfront front in, and they're like, no, we got to get you out there. And and there's an argument about whether or not the sauerkraut is cleaned up or not. They enter, And finally, they clean, Bo cleans the sauerkraut off that all the pigs dropped. They're, they go to introduce Hal, and they say he's going to come out and give a um, – Tribute to a medley of songs from our favorite holiday. And Waldorf says Christmas, and Statler says the 4th of July, and the curtain opens. Doodle came to London just to ride the ponies. I am that Yankee Doodle. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. No one wants to ride in one box on one stage. And we get a very chaotic number a medley of Christmas songs and a medley of Fourth of July songs that culminates in both fireworks and snow. One of my big notes was Fire Hazard, for sure. Well, just the back and forth. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the episode. Oh, but also, for sure. For there's sure. a there's an 80s music video for a song called "Look of Love" by ABC, which is basically framed and set up just like this. So, on top of the chaos, there's a weird sort of nostalgia that was factoring in. Yeah, I just thought um, I thought it was a lot funny. Gonzo's great coming in, and because Gon- Gonzo plays the uh, the Christmas half of the of the number. And, um, and yeah, and it keeps going through and, and Hal's trying to do his 4th of July show and it keeps getting interrupted by Christmas and he keeps getting more and more visibly frustrated and, and fr- more and more frustrated as he, as he adds more songs to the medley. And then, yeah, and at the end, uh, Statler calls for fireworks and Waldorf calls for snow and they're just kind of standing here in this mess at the end. Um, but I thought this was hysterical. It is a really good bit. The penguins were a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Although penguins are 
and Arctic creatures, not Arctic creatures, so they would have nothing to do with Christmas. But I promise they're paying that close attention to it. <laughs> Just saying. So S and W come out to uh, introduce our next number. It's our UK spot, um, and uh, they say that they they're gonna have they were gonna get the Beatles to come on, but they haven't re- returned their calls. Basically, so this would have been recorded about six months before John Lennon was assassinated. And Waldorf comes in and goes, I heard from Ringo. <laughs> and Stout was like, and? And he's like, he says no. So we're not getting any of the Beatles to do this next number. Um, that's some clout, by the way. Yeah. They were really able to get an answer from Ringo. I mean, it is ATV. Yeah, I guess so. It is ATV. So we get two whatnots instead singing Obladi Oblada from the White Album uh, and uh, them and some dogs in a British street market. It was the I, I learned um, I was this many days old when I learned that my oldest daughter knows the lyrics to Obladi Oblada. I mean, it's it's not a I didn't know why. I didn't know how. Song. I could absolutely see like a camp counselor singing that with a guitar or something like that. I've never, I guess they've heard a little Beatles, but my daughter's really good at picking up lyrics, but still. I did like, at the end of it, Kermit was like, wow, I don't even miss me at all. That was great. It's a bit of a, a Tom Sawyer moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's kind of seeing what life would be like without him, and it's going okay. Kermit's having a blast. That's the thing. Like, how's in hell? But uh, Kermit's having a good time. Kermit gets one episode a season to just be like, it's not my problem. Wow, that's crazy. This was filmed before John Lennon died, but it would have aired after. So that Beatles joke probably would have really hit. Would have been rough. Yeah. Assuming they didn't pull it. So then uh, we go to the guest star's dressing room, and uh, Robin is upset because his number has been canceled. Like everybody, he's been canceled. Him and Hal have a little conversation about what they would, what Robin would do if he ruled the world. Um, now, originally, they broke into a song called If We Ruled the World from the musical Pickwick from 1965. Um, this is not on Disney Plus. So the way, di- so what happens is, is Hal and Robin are talking. Robin says, if I ruled the world, he says something about I would get rid of wide tread tires on trucks to give little frogs a chance. And then him and Hal break into a song. If I rule the world. Ooh, you think big for a little guy. Every day would be the first day of spring. Just put all the weathermen out of business. Every heart would have a new song to sing. And we'd sing of the joy every morning would bring. It's a very kind of Robin, sweet Robin-like song. And at the end, Gonzo comes in and interrupts and goes, If I ruled the world, clothing would be edible! (laughs) So... Which gets a good laugh in both cuts. It does. I'm just... There are things out there for Gonzo. Maybe that answers my question from earlier. Um, I don't know why this musical number was cut. Um, I think the scene will play better with it. it. Does play better with it. Because it just it ends very abruptly with the Gonzo line now. If I ruled the world, clothing would be edible. Um, but I can only guess it's a it's a rights issue. But it's unfortunately not on Disney Plus. Uh, the geezers introduce Indira Mahajira 
to sing a medley of, as uh, I think Waldorf calls them, Urdu ditties. <laughs> but uh, and instead, it, it ends, so it's like this, um, what would you call it? This, uh, what part of Asian subcontinent, subcontinental setting? Um, Not sure. I mean, there's. It's like, it's like a Taj Mahal behind them. The Taj mm-hmm. Mahal is like in the background. And um, and it turns out it's not Indira. It's not this Indian songstress that they've been looking for. It is Piggy. Just an old-fashioned girl with an old-fashioned mind. Not sophisticated. I'm the plain and simple kind. I want an old-fashioned house with an old-fashioned fence and an old-fashioned millionaire. Surrounded by Butch the Tiger and the Prairie Dogs for some reason. And she sings a song called Just an Old Fashioned Girl, which is a song made famous by Eartha Kitt, the Catwoman herself. One of the Catwomen herself. And um, Piggy sings the hell out of it, although Statler and Waldorf are not impressed. They think she's terrible. But of course, whenever Piggy is terrible doing a song, I love it. It's also probably why Piggy was able to relax is just because she knew that she had an end. So backsta- we're backstage and uh, Statler and Waldorf tell Beauregard to go do something useful because he has a great line where they go, Beauregard, why are you standing there? Because this is the place where I stopped walking. Which existential question, I guess. Why are you standing here? Because this is where I stopped walking. <laughs> so good. That. If it was from anyone else, it would be like a perfect example of malicious compliance. But there's something so seer about Beauregard saying it. It's very zen. Mm-hmm. It's very zen. I have stopped because my legs are no longer moving. I'm sure that Beauregard would be able to sit down and meditate and just go to that no mind space immediately. So they tell him to get out of here and go do something useful. So he decides the useful thing to do is to test the trapdoor system in the backstage area. Now, why there are trapdoors backstage, I'm not 100% sure security measure we we've seen the trapdoors in an earlier episode i can't remember which on one. stage but ba- backstage i don't know i don't know maybe it's where they keep the rancor so uh so Stalar, so waldorf ends up taking a dive into a into a um a trapdoor and they bring beauregard back over and they're like hey knock it off stop Whatever you do, do not test the backstage trapdoors. And they leave to go introduce Hal. And Beauregard says, no problem. I'll test the onstage trapdoors. Again, from anyone else, malicious compliance, but from Bo. So they go out and uh, Stalin and Wardorf come out to introduce Hal. And Hal, but Hal then comes out and says he quits. <laughs> I like this moment. He just comes out and he goes, uh, yeah, I quit. This has been a disaster. And they're like, and they convince him like, no, 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 no. We promise this next number will be great. Don't you want to do your ragtime number? And, um, uh, and, and he's like, yeah, I do want to do my, my Dixieland jazz number. And they're like, well, you know, come on, we promise it'll be okay. Then we get to our final number with Hal and the mayhem and lips and an old man with a trombone playing when the saints go marching in. And during the performance, uh, the players get disappeared one at a time down the trapdoor. Although the trap on the trapdoors is Beauregard is testing them out. The trapdoors don't seem to go too deep. 
I mean, I can't imagine the Muppet Theater would be built over a pit, but then again, it's not impossible. I, I would like to point out that we, we make fun of Zoot and Floyd for their drug use, but Lips literally can't open his eyes. To be fair, he's probably having the best time of anyone on that stage. Hal does a great job with the clarinet. They do some fun stuff where, like, the trombonist is having a solo and he gets he gets pulled down through the um, trap door and Hal kind of finishes the solo on the clarinet. And he kind of fills in the holes as people get pulled out of the number uh, and then they pop back into the number. But uh, I, I thought it was actually, the instrumentation was really clever. It's a fun closer for sure. And of course it ends with him going through a, uh, going through a trap door as the final, uh, as Bode continues to test the trap doors. Come out to say goodnight with Statler and Waldorf, but then Kermit and Fozzie come on stage too. And um, Fozzie says, it's just like any other Muppet show. <laughs> <laughs> like it's been a disaster and, and what is it Kermit says something is it Hal says it's like what are you talking about it was a lot of confusion and chaos a lot of running around by mindless maniacs yeah yeah just like any good Muppet show <laughs> and Hal you were a big part of it oh good I'm glad I fit right in I don't know what you want from me and Stadler and Waldorf do something un- unimaginable they, pr- they, they give the show back to Kermit they're like we get it it's a tough job we never want to do it again. This was a disaster. But then they say, we'll never make fun of the show again. And they mean it for a moment. For, for a very brief moment. Um, and that's that's how the show ends. And then we have our end credits. And then during the t- the tag in Statler and Waldorf's box, uh, they complained about the theme song. And uh, then Kermit from offstage goes, you guys promised. <laughs> and they laugh. It's a good, it's a solid episode for sure. Also, knowing that it's the last season, if they were ever going to pull this off. You really do feel them like throwing shit against the wall. But also Especially with this next one. <laughs> like, there's also that aspect of smoke him if he got him. Because we're not... If I remember the, the bio correctly, Jim always wanted it to be five seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if he always wanted to be five seasons. But he knew going into the season, this was the end. There was never a, you know... There was never a sixth season even talked about, really. Right. So... But uh, yeah, Hal Linden, pretty good episode. I mean, I watched it three times this week, so. I know you haven't seen Young Frankenstein because you're a monster. It's not like I'm avoiding it. I just. There's only so much time you can you can uh, run from it. I, I lose track of months. I, I do want to see it at some point because apparently it's peak Wilder and peak Brooks and they're both among my favorites. It's also peak Marty Feldman. Yeah. But that's all I know about him. What do you what do you say about Marty Feldman? Marty Feldman, born Martin Allen Feldman on July 8th, 1934, was originally from East London. He was born to Cecilia and Meyer Feldman. His dad was a Jewish immigrant from Kiev, Ukraine, and was also a gown manufacturer. Marty was a pretty lonely kid. Uh, or I don't know if you would say lonely, but he was solitary and he was a kid during the second world war. So they were evacuated to the countryside and that only exacerbated the issue. He's kind of always been known for his appearance. He had a thyroid disease as a small child, which developed into graves up till I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this and I don't mean any disrespect. Optomopathy. Uh, which made his eyes protrude and become misaligned. We would see this for the rest of his life. Although that isn't necessarily the only thing that caused Marty to look the way that he did. 
there were also incidents like a general childhood injury, a car crash, a boating accident, and an attempt at reconstructive eye surgery. He dealt with a lot. He left school when he was 15 years old, and he decided that he was going to work at the Dreamland Fun Fair in Margate, which is just sort of like a carnival atmosphere. He wanted to be a jazz trumpet player, but he wasn't very good at it. And so between the time he was 15 and 20, he tried out a couple of different things before deciding that he wanted to become a comedian. He was part of a comedy act called Morris, Marty, and Mitch. Uh, They made the first TV appearance on the BBC series Showcase in April of 1955. He would end up becoming a writer and work on scripts for Educating Archie, which was a show that the BBC had on television and radio. He, He ended up writing scripts for both. He would get married in 1959 to Loretta Sullivan, and he would remain married to her for the rest of his life. Going into the 60s, he wrote a number of programs with his buddy Barry Took, who is not a Baggins, I assume, including titles like The Army Game, Bootsy and Snudge, and Round the Horn. He also worked as a script editor on The Frost Report, which you might remember featured a prior Muppet Show guest named John Cleese. But these were all sort of behind the scenes. He he started coming to the fore in shows like At Last, the 1948 show, which included Cleese and Chapman and Tim Brooke Taylor. In 1968, he recorded his first comedy album called Marty and his first TV series, also called Marty. He won two BAFTA awards. The series received a second series uh, in 1969, but it had been retitled to It's Marty. Um, and he released a second al- comedy album that year called I Feel a Song Going Off. The Marty TV series ended up launching his film career because it had a lot of international appeal. Uh, his first feature role was in a movie called Every Home Should Have One, which came out in 1970. Uh, there was an obscenity trial for something called Oz Magazine in England in 1971, and he gave evidence in favor of the defendants, sort of like uh, John Denver did for the obscenity trials. But he did not swear on the Bible. He would then go on to mock the judge because the judge implied that Marty had no religion since he wasn't Christian. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that courtroom because after seeing the way that he was able to shift gears in this episode, I'm sure he could take the piss out of just about anybody. I wonder if he was on any Friars roasts. The Muppet Show would not be the first time he would work with ATV. He would actually be featured on a show called The Marty Feldman on the, a show called The Marty Feldman Comedy Machine between 1971 and 1972 which was produced by ATV. It only lasted one series. In 1974, he would be featured on Marty Marty Back Together Again. And also 1974, as we mentioned before, he would play Igor in Young Frankenstein. Apparently, he improvised a lot of his lines, which I'm sure I will think is impressive when I finally see the movie. I'm going to hold you down and make you watch it. It's not going to take that. Just give me a comfortable place to sit. Wilder did say that he had Feldman in mind when he wrote the part. He would, re- he would collaborate with Gene Wilder again the following year in a film called The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother, and he would work with Brooks again the year after that in Silent Movie. He performed on The Dean Martin Show and took a random turn in 1976 playing in a sex comedy called, an Italian sex comedy called, in translation, Sex with a Smile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1981, we would see his guest star appearance on The Muppet Show. This would be his last TV appearance. December 2nd of 1982, he died of a heart attack in a hotel room in Mexico City. He was working on a film called Yellowbeard, and it would be dedicated in his honor posthumously. 
He is buried at the Garden of Heritage at Forest Lawn in Hollywood Hills Cemetery, not far from his hero, Buster Keaton. <clears throat> all in all, he seems like he was a genuine, genuinely sweet guy. The Muppet Show, episode 518, featuring guest star Marty Feldman, was produced between July 14th and July 17th of 1980. It would premiere in the UK December of that same year, and it would make it stateside on May 23rd of 1981. We will get this out of the way now. There is a cultural content warning. There is. It earns it. It does. It's just, there's so many different ways that it could, and yet I still love the episode. And I'm going to keep drawing points of comparison with the Spike Milligan episode, because that's our gold standard for what the fuck, or for what the heck. (laughs) Right. We get to our cold open, and Marty enters the theater with our favorite camel, Loretta. Formerly Sop with the camel, but now Loretta the camel, named after his wife, apparently. I mean, to be fair, marriage is one of those times when you just get a free pass to change your name. But that's his wife's name, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone was wondering whether or not he needed a change of pants. But at some point, smoke starts coming out of Loretta's mouth. Yeah. And I wasn't like it got a it got a genuine shock laugh out of me because I just wasn't expecting it. But we we have our standard. I wrote down I wrote down unfiltered camel. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm I'm upset that I missed that joke. We get to our Muppet Show theme and Gonzo's horn emits a blue spirit which plays a Middle Eastern tune, which is sort of setting the tone for the episode. But I remember looking at it and Gonzo sort of bugs out because he's obviously not expecting this either. My only note was set and setting Gonzo, but I probably would be the last time we saw that. From there, we get to see our one and only host, Kermit the Frog, announcing that the show is going to be devoted to the Arabian Nights. Now, there are a couple of things to mention before we get into the meat of this, because there's a lot. Uh, First, Kermit looks so much like Dizzy Gillespie looked at the end of his episode that I was wondering if that was intentional. <laughs> Swing low, sweet Cadillac. <laughs> he does. He really does. He, but like, it makes just as much sense as that did. But also, so as a folklore geek, I've read translations of the Arabian Nights. I'm assuming that the cultural content warning has to do with I guess, cultural stereotypes and, and memes. Cultural stereotypes. Um, one could argue, you know, he's playing someone of a different culture. But also the Swedish chef is playing Shariar. Yeah. So it, it, like, I feel like it crosses the line two or three times to the extent that because it doesn't feel hateful, right? Because Spike Milligan's episode crossed the line like 30 times, but all of it was bad. This is just existing in a space of absurdity. It is, um, yeah. Which, again, other people are liable to disagree with me. It's We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, we go to our, our opening for anyone that's not aware. They, they sort of truncate this, but in the classic tale of the Arabian Nights, Shariar, the uh, king or sultan of the area, was decapitating women on a nightly basis, or morning, morning after, uh, on a daily basis, because someone broke his heart and then someone traumatized him after that. Not a justification, just laying context down. The daughter of his lead advisor was named Scheherazade and she elected to try to tell stories in order to stop him from killing random women and also try to heal some of the psychological damage. This is our baseline. Uh, we're going to omit a lot of the, the anti-black sentiment that was in the Arabian nights, because that's a whole tangent unto itself. Scheherazade in this particular case is played by the one, the only Marty Feldman. 
for whatever reason, Marty's wearing a blonde wig, which is another part of the thing that's just like, I don't think he's trying to go full cultural appropriation as much as he's trying to go into absurdity. Because if it had been like, it's a subtle thing, but if it had been a, a black haired wig or a dark haired wig, it might seem like he was trying to pass. It is, a, it is an atrocious, like mid to late eighties hair metal wig. It doesn't seem like cultural appropriation so much as it's just sort of completely ridiculous. Yeah. He's not wearing much clothes either. <laughs> I mean, there's a bodysuit, thankfully, but, and Jim is doing an amazing job as the Swedish chef, as a chop happy Sultan. Yeah. As the Swedish chef is the Sultan. Yeah. It's, it's good casting, which yeah. Like it's, I, at this point, I, I would not have expected make, it. They not at all. Me. Yeah. It, he's usually not in the spotlight like that. But we go into our first sketch, which is retelling the story of one of Sinbad the Sailor's voyages. Uh, Sinbad played Kinda. by Kermit. <laughs> kind of. I can't remember which voyage this was, but Kermit, as Sinbad, runs across an evil genie. And the genie is just sitting there waiting for Sinbad the Sailor because he knows that he's trying to steal his stuff. And in a moment of quick thinking, Kermit makes it very clear that he is Sinbad, but he's not Sinbad the Sailor. He's Sinbad the Surfer, at which point... Well, you see, there's this guy, Sinbad the Sailor. Yeah, well, anyway, he goes around stealing treasure. What's your name, anyway? Uh, well, it's uh, <clears throat> uh, Sinbad. What? Uh, but it's not Sinbad the Sailor. It's Sinbad the Surfer. <laughs> You expect me to believe that? Sure. Hit it, guys. If everybody had an ocean across the USA, then everybody'd be surfing like California. You'd see them wearing baggy, rusty sandals too, a bushy, bushy black now the thing about the Sinbad stories, if I remember correctly, is every time he went out on a voyage, he had a bunch of people with him, and every time he was the only one that came back. But kind of like Odysseus. Uh, there's probably a common link between that because I feel yeah. like there was a, a Lotus Eater story at some point, or everyone getting turned into animals of some sort. But I haven't yeah read those in a minute. Also, I was happy. I'm a Beach Boys fan, so I was happy. Yeah, and it's it's a good pivot. It comes yeah. way out of left field. Yeah. Also, the moment where Marty just drinks this, just straight drinks the bottle of ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> but also, it's it goes full into the absurdity. Also, I do want to draw attention to the one part, uh, or the one frog on Kermit's crew that had super dilated eyes. I don't know what commentary I wanted to make on that guy. It just it was something that drew me away from all of the other ridiculousness in this particular sketch, if only for a second. Also, as I'm as I'm looking at my notes on this, I'm realizing Kermit took this entire week off because he didn't plan last episode. He planned to be out of last episode. This episode, he's like, you as my guest star get to make the calls. What are we doing? And backstage, we realize that Aladdin's supposed to be the next sketch, but Marty doesn't have an Aladdin. And poor, poor Fozzie can't get respect from any of our guest stars tonight. Because he suggests that he might be a good fit, and there's a little bit of confusion about Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And Marty makes a comment about Goldilocks and the Four Bears, and just says one bear too many in order to drop the hint that Fozzie should leave. We go on stage again, and Marty is actually in the scene this time, not a Scheherazade. But Gonzo's playing Aladdin, and Fozzie ends up playing the genie alongside Marty. 
in order to grant wishes to Aladdin. And because you should never give Gonzo wishes, or you should also give always give Gonzo wishes. Always give Aladdin. Gonzo wishes. He deserves it. But he gives Gonzo a chorus of chicken dancing girls dancing to a song called In a Persian Market. This song has been on the show before, back in episode 312. But it didn't have dancing chickens. It didn't. Also, I feel like the everything about this up to and including Gonzo laying on the bed watching the show with bug eyes is just like we're seeing a very specific fantasy of Gonzo's, which shouldn't surprise any of us, but was unexpected. I like his red beard. <laughs> yeah. It's very authentic looking. For a Scotsman? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know who he's supposed to be playing there. So in our UK spot, Whirling Wanda and company sing a song called Girlfriend of the Whirling Dervish, which is from a film called Garden of the Moon from 1938. I haven't really heard of it, but yeah, this entire song, like thematically, I didn't get much out of this one. I didn't, but also like the core premise of the song was that a guy was trying to get with someone before he realized that she was girlfriend of a whirling girl before he realized that she was a girlfriend of the whirling dervish. But the Muppet that they put into the vocal point is wearing a wedding ring. So he's like, I'm okay with cheating on my wife, but if you're cheating on your husband, that's not okay. And I don't do this. And it's just a weird thing that sort of like piqued my interest. I didn't notice a wedding ring. I just noticed it had Wanda in it. It did. But we go backstage. We haven't, I feel like we haven't seen much of Sam for a while. Uh, We have not. No. Sam is pleased to have a, a distinguished British guest artiste, which I don't know if this episode would have felt complete if we didn't get to see Marty interact with Sam, to be completely honest. But we take another weird, weird left turn. and Weird I'm, turn. There are flying machines in the Arabian Nights, the flying, the magic carpet, the ebony horse, things like that. I just... Weird. Yeah, like they pulled it out of a hat. I don't know what the thought process was. Marty is featured in this one again, playing the Wright Brothers, not as a split, like camera cinematography trick of him playing both of them. No, both of them are in, in one body and they liked being referred to as Wilbur and Orville Wright, sort of like a pimp named Slick Back needs that full thing said every time because his mom wanted twins. And Sam is playing a patent officer. Uh, <laughs> I guess they're supposed to be going into patent airplanes, except yeah, to, to patent the airplane, right? In on brand with it being an Arabian Nights themed episode. Wilbur Norville really wants to patent the flying carpet. I love this guy. Like every time Marty's on screen, this episode absolutely sells it for me. The entire point about the flying carpet being a carpet on the floor of an airplane. So it is technically a flying carpet. Yep. It's, it's not that hard to argue with, but you could try. Um, this sketch was just like one step too far for me. It is super super random it is all over the place i think if this is then he starts pretending that the model airplane that he's using is a phone and the gag for the whole bit becomes the phone this would bother me if it was one of our opening sketches but because we've seen so much of marty's particular brand of humor at this episode at this point i'm i'm okay with it it didn't bother me it just left me cold fair yeah um and then the i guess this isn't the first time that we've seen a sesame street crossover well, we'll t- we have to talk about this because it's way different on Disney Plus than it is, than it originally was. I, I guess these are some of the most popular stories from the Arabian Nights. We we're gonna visit Alibaba in the puppet version, except to bring back our uh, our setup from earlier in the episode. It's 
for whatever reason, it's going to cross with Goldilocks and the Three Bears. With Fozzie Bear being the head of the Three Bears slash the Forty Thieves, that is supposed to be boiled in oil, as was the case in the original story. I guess they're planning to go full method, because at some point, Fozzie goes backstage. Well, I'm trying to find Kermit. Where is everybody? Oh, well, everybody's outside in the alley. We're heating up the oil for Alibaba. Huh? Well, why do we need the hot oil? Because the thieves get cooked in it. <laughs> the thieves get cooked in it? Yep. Um, well, when does this happen? Um, just before the closing number. Uh-huh. There's only one thing to do. Ah! They're boiling the oil. <laughs> in the story, the 40 thieves get boiled in oil. It's true. <laughs> I did, I, see, I didn't know that. But the the best part about this is we, on a Muppet Show episode, say Open Sesame, and there's no way that we can say that without segueing to Sesame Street on some level. So here, so so they do this number. They sing Hot Time, hot time, hot time in the Old Town Tonight. When you which you know by the way was the uh anthem of teddy roosevelt's rough riders which i thought was funny jack nicholson also sings it in the batman after he fries the dude i haven't seen that movie in so so but then at the end of the number he goes let's do this one One more time." time and what originally happened was that a rock opens up and the Sesame Street gang comes out. Open Sesame, get it? They come out and it's it's Grover and the Count and, and Cookie and Bert and Ernie and they come out of this thing and they sing the up they sing the Sesame Street theme. Which you will not see on Disney Plus. And then they go over and they finish singing the song with Marty and all the other Muppets. I'm just for, I guess, Children's Television Workshop just wouldn't release it. You know, would not give the rights to Disney because they own that, not, not, not Henson, not Disney. So the Disney, the Sesame Street theme is out, um, which is unfortunate because I watched the full version today and it works so much better. It doesn't make any sense in the Disney Plus version. They just appear. There's no story there. They just appear. So very strange, very strange moment if you're just watching it on Disney Plus. Uh, I mean, for me, like I was Marty's charisma just like had me going wherever we're going is where we're going at this point. And I'm, I'm along for the ride. But I think this would have been much stronger with the Sesame Street theme in it. We go to close and Kermit says goodnight. And Marty... <laughs> Marty meets his... I wonder how much influence Marty had over this episode. He says that he got to meet his favorite Muppet, and he just puts a a side-by-side facial comparison with Cookie Monster, complete with, like, the rolling eyes and everything. Um, And Marty's dressed up all in green, too, sort of like those old... uh, the Robin's Frog Scouts, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. It's a very famous image of him and Cookie Monster side-by-side. We go to the closing, and I don't know how the entire cast of Sesame Street found its way up to the box, but Statler and Waldorf don't know how to get to Sesame Street, which honestly makes sense because they're not like. There's a communal aspect to Sesame Street that 
even Oscar can't escape, but Statler and Waldorf probably would. They'd be like those two old guys that went from uh, trading places to coming to America and never learned their lesson. It's the only time. It's the last time they're going to show up on the show. I mean, we only have a few episodes left, but it's the last time you're going to show up on the show. Hmm. I think that's just the third time. We've had, we had Bert and Ernie on a season one episode, and then there was the uncomfortable Big Bird episode. And I feel like there was another one, but I'm blanking on it. I think that's it. And they won't cross over again, really, until Muppet Family Christmas, which is the greatest crossover this side of, well, it's, yeah, it's better than Endgame. Next time, pianos, puppies, and arithmetic. Uh, next time. We're going to be talking about, well, next time's a little complicated. Next time's a little complicated. We're going to be talking about episodes number uh, 519 and 520. Now, 520 is is uh, guest starring uh, comedian Wally Bogue. 519 is guest starring a man who we really rather not talk about. Um, and that episode is not on Disney+. Plus. So we're going we're gonna to try to find our way to maneuver our way through that episode um, without, while still giving the... While still, while giving uh, credit to those who worked hard to make the episode and, and to the Muppet crew, and without putting a spotlight on the man at the center of it, if that makes sense. Get on, uh, get on the internets and give us reviews. It really, really would help. Um, and then check us out online. Uh, until also, the next time. <laughs> until next time, uh, I'm Chad. I'm Nick. And like he said, thank you for listening. A Feed of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Potowitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. You know, I never liked their theme music. Neither did I. You promised. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha,